Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. Everybody. Hi, Hi Dr. Dr. Nick. <laughs> yes, hello everybody. It's Dr. Nick here again. Um, welcome to Radiotherapy Live online and on podcast. Um, I had to miss the last show because I was in quarantine, um, having just come back from the UK. So it's really wonderful to be back here in the studio and today with a full complement of panellists. <laughs> as you, you wonderful listeners will realise, we can't all physically be here. So today we'll have Rainbow Doc and Prudence Deer will be joining us by telephone. But here in the studios, spread around and separated by walls and glass, but joined by technology, we have two of our regulars. First, our resident hospital doctor, Miss Diagnosis. Welcome back, Miss D. Good morning, Dr. Nick. Now, I gather that you're an Anzac Day baby. Yes, that's correct. I am an Anzac Day baby, which when I was in primary school was always, um, in some ways, a little bit of a disappointment because other kids used to bring a cake in to school on their birthday and I always had a public holiday. No cakes. I know. And then the older I got, the more I thought, oh, good, a public holiday on my birthday. That's not too bad. And then you get a birthday and social distancing and still no cakes. (laughs) So what did you do for yesterday? Well, I was, um, we had a, actually had a wonderful birthday yesterday. I was surprised by my partner with a, um, Skype, sorry, a Zoom hip hop dance class with my entire extended family. Whoa. All a surprise to me, um, and it was it was lots and lots of fun. So I would recommend anyone who's missing company or family a Zoom hip hop dance class might be the way to go. Isn't that a wonderful example of people being creative in these times? I just love that a Zoom hip hop dance class. Uh, it's way over. I can just see a shadow in the distance. Uh, the man who keeps this whole show on the road, the man who can manage knobs, buttons, multiple studios, and intelligent comment all at the same time. We have the wonderful dulcet tones of Panel Peter. Oh, good morning to the both of you. Can you hear me loud and clear? <laughs> we can hear you. Yeah. We can just about see you. Thank you for joining <laughs> us and for keeping this all happening. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Happy birthday, Miss Diagnosis. You kept that under your hat uh, when we uh, spoke this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so in today's show, well, you know, I'm sorry, we can't escape talking about coronavirus, but in my view, the most unprecedented thing about this whole pandemic is the overuse of the word unprecedented. So I promise that is the last time that you will ever hear that word from me. <laughs> uh, shortly, we'll have Prudence Deer talking about the experience of online psychotherapy, as well as helping us put the mmm back into mundane. Uh, misdiagnosis is hot from the COVID ward, so she can give us a bit of an update about what's happening on the front line. Um, and Rainbow Doc will be having an attack of the vapours and telling us why this might not be such a bad thing. But first, we've got some news. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. We've got some news, panel Peter. What have you got for us? Yes, Dr Nick. I, um, I've been uh, taking a look at... Um the stats around car accidents during the time of COVID. Ah. Yeah. So there's been a lot of um, extraneous uh, um, consequences to COVID. You know, um, there's been lots of 
photos going around social media about animals rewilding and, and cities under lockdown, you know, um, but some great photos of bears in different parts of the world coming into urban spaces. That's been one consequence of lim- limited human activity in and certain the, areas. Yeah, there's wonderful uh, pictures of the sheep wandering around the towns of Wales. Yeah, that's right. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and there's been the discussions around the reduction in pollution and, and the positive effect that's had on, on um, health. So well. please tell us we've got some good news then. Have we, now all the cars right. are off the roads, everyone driving carefully and no one's killing themselves. Right, and thanks for that. that so that now brings me to cars on the road. And um, the well, clearly, if we're in something resembling a lockdown, um, that means there's going to be f- uh, less traffic. And the temptation is to extrapolate that that'll mean less accidents. It's not that straightforward. Ooh. No, no. I've got some um, anomaly information here. I've taken a look at some um, news that was coming out of the United States on, on um, road fatalities and accidents in general. And I've taken a look at the recent stuff that's come out... Um, out of um, Monash uh, here in Melbourne about uh, some of the accidents that are happening around Victoria. Now, let's just start with the United States. So with a couple of cities, um, Seattle was about 50% fewer, 50% fewer um, accidents and consequent um, injuries and fatalities. Um, In Los Angeles, uh, there were also about half as many collisions, right, Um, Mm. as normally the case. Um, And this... um, uh, is interesting in light of then thinking about the Victorian road toll. Ooh. We've actually been higher oh, in the no. same period as last year. How do you possibly explain that? Right. So Max Cameron, our, um, uh, who's at the Monash University Accident and Research Centre, he's, um, you know, obviously we're recognising that uh, roads are less congested, and but that this might mean there are higher speeds um, and there's also the uh, likelihood that there's some kind of correlation between the increase in alcohol consumption and uh, during COVID and uh, reckless uh, behind-the-wheel activity. Can I give you my personal theory? Yep. All the smart, sensible people have stayed off the roads, leaving the people who are uh, less careful, shall we say, to get on the roads. And as a cyclist, I've been turned into and doored more often <laughs> in this quieter time than I was when it was all busy. Yeah, that's, that's very disappointing to hear. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's curious that we can't say that, you know, for every one less car on the road, there is one less likelihood of fatality. The, the mathematics just doesn't simply work like that. Um, yeah, so there's estimated about a 70% drop in traffic at the moment. And um, Dr Cameron was talking about um, maybe only up to, at best, maybe about a 50% drop, if, if at all. So a 50% drop in uh, um, collisions, d- d- but, but not the drop in fatalities. Oh, no, that's the 50% in um, deaths and injuries. Right. And yeah. so, so what do we think is going to happen when it all goes back together again? Yeah, exactly. So there's one thing for the reduced amount of traffic during COVID, but um, there's an imminent recession. So I got curious, as I try to do, um, and I wanted to find out what was the correlation between recessions and car accidents. So I went and took a look at um, a bit of stats, first again from the United States. And before you even go to the yep. stats, I'm going to ask misdiagnosis. So just off the top of your head, what's your guess? I mean, I have no idea. Recession, car accidents, my guess would be they would reduce. What do you reckon? Hmm, recessions and car accidents. Up, down, same. 
Come on. Oh, you want a simple answer? Yeah, I want a simple answer because <laughs> penalty is going to give us the real answer. Come on, what, oh, what okay, I'm going to hazard a guess it up. Okay, over to you, PB. Yeah, well, the um, so this is from a 2016 study um, looking at recent um, uh, recessions and fatalities involving large trucks decreased by um, about 8.5%. Speeding-related fatalities decreased by 5%. Mm-hmm. Um, drunk driving-related fatalities decreased by 3.6. Okay. Driving fatalities not in dr- involving alcohol decreased by 2.5. Multi-vehicle crash fatalities decreased by 4.1. And urban crash fatalities decreased by 4.6. I, I love this concept that the car's been in the garage so long it's gone mouldy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I think it's just worth reminding that one of the fears that we had um, c- coming into COVID was the capacity for our emergency services in hospitals and elsewhere mm-hmm. to deal with it. And if there is a decrease, it's prima facie good on its own merits, um, but it also means that's one less um, uh, demand on the on the hospital services. It, it's, a, it's a bit disappointing in a way, isn't it? Because the changes you're talking about, even those uh, changes in recession, while there was more significant change in truck drive, a truck accidents, the actual changes were just a, a, a few percent yeah. in the others. So it's not that much of a change. There might be something to your theory about who stays on the road and who doesn't. <laughs> well, it's certainly been my experience that people who are are normally responsible and behave well are doing that and um, then you get the people who probably push the limits who are still out there pushing those limits yeah well we'll see we'll follow that one up panel beta because i think that's fascinating and we'll come back to that uh, in a few months time and see what the latest statistics are when we're enjoying our recession <laughs> oh, yes yes when all we can do on a sunday morning sit and talk into a microphone um we'll be, have some more and we're going to get um prudence dear on the telephone uh and she'll be talking to us a little bit about um, what her experience is of online psychotherapy as well as putting the mm, back into mundane uh, and that'll be coming up right after this This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how I'm hoping that we've got Prudence Deer, who's our resident scientist, researcher and psychotherapist. Welcome to our virtual world. Prudence, are you there? Oh, hi, Dr. Nick. Hello, panel beta. Lovely, to hear your, <laughs> lovely to hear your voice. Thank you for joining us. Are we allowed to ask uh, where, you, where you are? Oh, I'm out in the country. I'm a, a bit sort of uh, north of Ballarat, actually. I've got a lovely view of... Uh, of fields and sheep, and um, it's a bit cloudy and pouring with rain, but otherwise lovely. And do you have do you have your dog with you? Um, she's not right here right this second. She's fast asleep on the bed right now, but she's <laughs> going to be expecting to go out shortly. So th- th- I was very interested in what we, we talked about um, before this show. Um, you were talking about how we're all having to learn to live with things which are a little bit more ordinary, a little bit more mundane, yeah. perhaps. And so, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about that. Well, look, I mean, you know, and I was, I was thinking, you know, to, to what to talk about today, and, and I really wanted to come up with something that wasn't sort of going to be about COVID or isolation. But you know what? I found that really quite difficult to come up with something. Mm. And I, I was thinking, I, you know, I used to spend the month between broadcasts, looking at the news, doing a bit of research on something that I've heard about or read about that sparks my interest. But again, you know, everything is kind of COVID, isn't it? Um, and you know what? As well, I found it difficult to get the energy, to be honest, Dr. Nick, you know, to look at something new. 
I can't help but look at my sort of social media streams and look at the mainstream media. And one thing I keep seeing, you know, over the last few weeks is that we're being told that we could do stuff with all this extra time that we supposedly have. <laughs> yes. And it's really exciting, isn't it? You know, we should be exercising. We should be learning. We should be making things. We should be doing things. Look, I mean, you know, we could be hip-hop dance classes every day. Yes, how, how, um, are, your, how are your Ukrainian lessons going? <laughs> well, I will have to be honest, you know. I um, I've uh, I found it difficult really to find things that I really want to do. I did I did surprisingly surprise myself actually with some super ripe bananas on Tuesday that I actually made some banana bread with. And I think I wonder actually how many people have been eating banana bread the last few weeks. I think uh, the novelty might be wearing off a bit by now. And I, I kept on going after the banana bread and actually made a loaf of bread in the bread machine, and that was also exciting. And in fact, I even made pizza on Thursday, and I thought that was wonderful, but I made too much, and uh, by Saturday, I think we were kind of getting a bit fed up with that. <laughs> now, if, um, do, I, do I hear a sort of psychological hat coming on here, um, which, oh, which is sort of taking me a little bit to sort of living in the moment and mindfulness where we need to celebrate ordinariness and, and really focus on some of the things which well, maybe we took for granted, but in fact, um, that's what we need to do at the moment. Tell us about I, that. Well, I, yeah, look, I think there is absolutely, you know, we are finding that sort of we're under pressure, but I think the reality as well is that I'm hearing that so many people are actually not finding the energy and not finding the motivation to do things even though we appear to have the time to do it and I really I kind of a really important message I think is you know what that's okay it's actually normal to feel like this in a time of crisis that there is this uncertainty there's a disconnection from family and friends I know we're doing a lot of you know a lot of video conferencing and uh, no, I'm, I've been doing that we have family dinners you know where we all different places Sydney Melbourne Ballarat you know we're all together or we're watching movies together but you know we're still feeling kind of demotivated and I think it was interesting that came to mind as well because I actually was watching I mean I'm doing training online and I watched a, um, a training session last week which actually talked about this kind of that our brains kind of shut down a little bit and become you know kind of quietens us down and that's one of our coping mechanisms that, that we actually rather than get too anxious we actually become kind of de-aroused that our level of, of, of energization if you like goes down so look i think it's important you mentioned the dog and i love going out and taking the dog out for a walk and so does she and i think i'm learning a lot from her right now because she explores the world through her senses you know she she smells especially she loves smelling she's got to stop and sniff everything <laughs> and i'm I think, you know, I go, oh, yeah, actually, while she's doing that, I'm looking around, and I think it's really important that we do, you know, re you know, evaluate what we can see, what we can smell, you know, smell the air, feel the breeze. Depending on where you live, you might be able to hear the birds or you can hear the, the traffic, you know, but it's about life and activity. There is stuff going on. I it's think really what you, important. Yeah, what, what you're saying really rings true to me because dogs are the quintessential creature that live in the moment and take great pleasure totally. from the immediate misdiagnosis. I, I'm so glad you're saying that, um, Prudence, because I find myself, you know, I come home from work and everybody's sort of been doing online yoga classes or, um, you know, making something or baking something. 
something. And I, I, I sometimes I come home and, and I've recently re-downloaded the game The Sims and I've come home and I've just played sort of two hours of The Sims and, you know, sort of someone, a grown-up doctor-ish, I sometimes feel like maybe that's not good enough and maybe I should be attending the, you know, the extra online classes that the hospital are offering to upskill us. But I just find that I, I don't have the energy with the stress that's in the air at the moment. So I want to come back to that yeah. with you, Prudence, because uh, yeah. you said right at the start of and uh, the last bit you were talking about, you should give yourselves permission to not do much. I want you to talk a bit more about that because I think that's incredibly important um, because we are yeah. feeling bombarded a little bit like we used to with social media where everyone was grinning on a beach somewhere as if we were... You know, there's not much to miss out on now, so that sort of FOMO has lost its mo. But at the same time, there seems to be this different pressure. So talk a bit about that for us, could you? Well, yeah, I think it is. You know, that the idea that somehow we've been given a kind of freedom here and that we should be doing something. You know, and I think that's kind of the emphasis, isn't it? There's this, this, this idea that you should be doing. Now, we are in a sort of heightened period of anxiety, nevertheless, right? This is strange to us. This, you know, it's unpredictable. So we are going to respond with a level of a kind of fear response. So our brains do things in those situations. And, and there's a couple of ways that when actually, when we are threatened, um, you know, I think most people know about the the, the sort of, you know, the fight or flight response where, our, you know, we get some impulses from our brains that go down to our um, adrenal glands, wham, you know, we get loads of adrenaline circulating in our body, our heart rates go up, you know, we get activated, we get aroused, we are like ready to go, you know, fight or run. Um, on the other hand, though, there's, there's, uh, there's actually, you know, neural systems that kind of do the opposite, which shut us down, which slow everything down. And they also kind of slow our brain and our thinking down. And actually, I think that's, there's, there's a large part of that that's going on. That the way we cope, and this is, a, no, this is a psychological and physiological thing, our brains shut us down a little bit. So we do feel actually slightly depressed. And when we're depressed, we don't feel so enthusiastic. We don't have the energy to do things. And I think we, we probably, uh, in that situation, think there's something wrong with us. And I really just want to emphasize, I think, that, you know, the way we're responding in these situations is normal. This is what we're kind of supposed to do if this was, you know, anything other than <laughs> unprecedented. No, um, you're not allowed to use that word. I'm sorry, that's been banned for the it, until 11 o'clock. I got, I got it in. I got one in. Um, but, yes, you know, that's it. We kind of do shut down because it keeps us calmer hopefully we we feel less agitated but that does mean we feel less energized less motivated and we may then feel that we're performing below our best i mean many people are working from home and they're probably getting stressed because they're not doing as much or achieving as much as they would do if they were like you know commuting and going to the office and feeling really highly pressured but i think again it's like it's okay it really is no one Nobody's performing well at the moment. I think globally, we're all under par. So... So my, I'm going to give you one, one of the ways that yeah. I'm trying to deal with this and you tell me whether you think this is any use, but um, I'm not relieved to hear what you say because I've, I feel myself feeling guilty a lot of the time sitting at home not doing some of these things. And one of the ways I've tried to deal with this is to say, all right, at this time I'm putting that aside to go and have coffee or read a book or just blob or whatever it is, or this evening I'm allowed to take off. I'm sort of compartmentalising the time so that I'm allowing yeah. myself downtime so that I... 
feel a bit less guilty, which is what I used to do when I was studying. I used to say, okay, you are allowed this time off uh, to kind of legitimise it. Do you think that's a valid technique people could try? Absolutely. I mean, one of the ways of dealing with those sort of desires, yes, to procrastinate or change or do nothing or sit and stare at a screen is, yes, you know, to set some time, set a routine. Routines always help, of course, but don't make them too demanding. It's sort of like go and do 40 minutes, you know, so I'm going to work for 40 minutes and then when I've done that, I'm going to, I'm allowed to have a cup of tea and a chocolate digestive and I'm going to, I'll do whatever. I'm going to watch an episode of something on Netflix and then I'm going to go back and do another 40 minutes. So, and mix that up between things you think you should be doing and that maybe you have to be doing and those reward items. So it might be it might be watching a video. If you've got a garden or some outside area, obviously go outside, you know, get get some sunlight if there's sun, get some fresh air because that's all good for us. Um, but yeah, allow yourself rewards for achievement, but don't make the achievements too demanding, you know. And I, want, time boxed. and I want to come back to your um, work as a, a psychotherapist because, of course, yeah. this has changed everything and traditionally we think of um, psychological therapies as something that needs to be done ah. face-to-face, but then years ago people started writing it down in books and I remember we yeah. used to call it bibliotherapy when you could tell people you can get a yeah. book from the library and then they went online oh, and we, we got things like the mood gym where you can do cognitive behaviour therapy th- through the internet. Yep. How's it working out doing therapy? remotely okay this is interesting yeah because i mean i've switched over to doing it completely remotely we i'm using video conferencing and i'm using the good old-fashioned phone um now i've obviously been working with clients who i've been meeting face to face and we've now switched over so that's that's not so difficult in the sense that we've already got a relationship the type of i'm a psychotherapist and a counselor and i'm i'm a humanistic uh, person practitioner i use what's called person-centered counseling so a lot of that is about is about talking and building a relationship with uh, with my client so that you know we have a very kind of close bond over time um now we're having now to do that in that sort of video conferencing environment now actually interestingly i'm not finding it too difficult um some clients do not want this this is not going to work for them so we have to be really mindful of that and, and they won't even participate and that's fair enough at the other extreme, I have clients, for example, who have severe social anxiety and getting out of their home to come to the clinic to see me and to use public transport and so on is a major problem. And on days when they're due to have therapy, they may not be able to get in. So you know, I, was going to ask you, yeah, I was going to ask you that. There, there must be people for whom going and seeing someone face-to-face is highly stressful and complicated. Indeed. And to be able Indeed. to do it rather more... Um, almost anonymously, yeah. if you like. I mean, what about the difference between doing it by video and then just by voice? Do you notice much difference there? Um, look, I, I think we, I might argue it's, it's nice to be able to see the other person. I think it kind of is reassuring. But I'd say to some extent it's not essential. And, and there are, I've, I've been reading some commentary just recently which actually says that phone in some ways can be better than the video conferencing because there is a kind of disconnect even though you're seeing the person you know their image it is still an image and you're having to deal with a kind of cognitive dissonance of seeing the person but not actually being with them and that can cause some kind of 
psychological, I suppose, contradictions and sensory contradictions that, that actually can be distracting. So phone, you can, you can really focus actually on tone of voice, you know, the person's intonation and so on, which actually can be very, very informing because we do communicate so much by voice. So, um, yes, I, I, are, I, I completely agree with that because I'm, I realise with patients I've spoken to over the telephone, people I've known a long time, I only have to hear their voice and I can absolutely see yeah. them, I can picture their expressions, I almost know what they're looking like even without the video, just, just from the sound yeah. of their voice and the way they answer. Totally. We reveal such subtleties in our voice. So can I I ask, Prudence, do you have, at this stage, so this makes absolute sense with clients that you have a really strong relationship with, people that you've been speaking to for a long time and that, you know, you can picture them if it's just on the phone. What about people who maybe haven't engaged in any kind of therapy before and are finding this time really anxious and want to start some of this stuff? Is there a way for someone who doesn't have an existing relationship with a therapist to build one over telehealth? Absolutely, absolutely, and I'm doing that, and I'm finding that quite effective. I mean, again, as I say, it's not necessarily for everyone, and it's probably not for every practitioner and style, but an awful lot of what, how I work is about talking. So, so, so that is kind of the primary sort of connection, and I think, you know, therefore we, uh, you know, it does work, it works through phone, and I've, I've you know, it, I think it's being quite effective, and I'm certainly getting clients who are telling me it's very effective, you know, oh, thank goodness, you know, you can hear me. I mean, that's something that I say to clients, even when I'm face-to-face, is, am I hearing you? Um, you know, it's important. I'm not just listening. I'm actually hearing what you're saying to me. So, you know, yes, look, it absolutely does work, and I'd encourage people to try it. You've got nothing to lose. Um, across the board, really, you know, that Medicare is now funding telehealth extensively, so you can get, you know, bulk billing, uh, you know, psychologists, who will who will talk to you on the phone or, or do a video conference with you. So it's accessible. It's available. And we're out there to provide that sort of service. And that's an important reminder. Thank you, Prudence, because there may be people out there who think that this is now an impossibility. But um, it's helpful to know that not only is it available, actually, um, from what I've been reading, there's, if anything, an expansion of services because there are people who've been trying to put this kind of help available uh, that maybe it wasn't before. Prudence, thank you so much. And thank you so much. And thank you also for reminding us that not being highly motivated to do all that stuff that everybody else seems to be doing all the time is okay. Find that incre- yeah, I find that immensely reassuring because uh, that guilt um, over not doing stuff, I think, is, uh, is, is really quite high risk. Yeah. So thank you so much for that and stay bye safe. Pleasure. Look after yourself. You okay, bye for now. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Um, and now we're going to talk a little bit about what it's actually like at the front line, misdiagnosis. Yeah, so I thought I'd talk a little bit about what it's like on our sort of um, front line in Victoria here at the moment, which is, of course, different to the front lines in places like um, the UK and, you know, obviously yeah. China and things like that. So it's, it's a different picture maybe to the picture that people are reading about in the news. Um, 
and essentially, you know, what it's like from a very, very junior doctor's perspective. But um, very junior, but very frontline because you're actually on the infectious diseases unit, aren't you? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, so essentially my, my day sort of starts, I sort of turn up at, at work before, you know, before work starts and come in and I'll change into my scrubs and then change into my face shield and change into my mask put all my bags away, that kind of thing, and, and head down to the ward. And So just a quick question. Do you have to wear that stuff all day long? So on the COVID ward itself, we're considered a high-risk ward and different hospitals have different policies and it depends on the hospital policy for the different wards themselves. So high-risk areas... Um, there is increased use of PPE to keep the staff and patients safe. So high-risk areas are things like the emergency department where you've got people coming in from the community, you don't know, maybe they do have COVID. Um, the um, intensive care unit, the ICU, where so, you've got people hooked up to ventilators so, and the COVID, the dedicated COVID wards themselves. So quick question then, if everyone's dressed up in this PPE, mm. how does anyone know who anyone is? Yeah, so what? that's a really good question. Um, we have name tags that are quite small and often people... <laughs> don't know and it's it's interesting that prior to all of this happening when I was on different wards different units um, you know you could often tell who people were because the nurses would wear scrubs and the doctors would often be in you know in their sort of professional clothing whereas now we're all in scrubs so there have been you know multiple times where people have mistaken me for you know someone else whether that's the nurse or whether that's the, sort of the consultant on the round depending on um, you know the, the posture that you're adopting at the time um, but I think the main thing that I wanted to sort of talk about with this is that you know it, it's it's quite it is quite a distressing time in some ways to even physically be at work because um, even though we are still leaving our house, we're not in social social isolation at home during the day. You know, people who work in hospitals are turning up. We are so sort of covered in PPE most of the time and so conscious of preserving it that, you know, if I wear a mask on the ward itself, I will keep that mask on until I break for lunch, which might mean that I'll have it on for four or five hours, which means that you're not drinking you know, you, you get quite dehydrated because of the, the moisture and things from the mask itself. And I find by the time I go home, I have to drink about two and a half litres of water to just rehydrate. And on top of that, there's the social distance that it gives you when even if you're physically close mm. to people, because you can't see facial expressions as well. The, um, the face shields that we have, um, they're a little bit sort of reflective e just by the nature of being plastic. You often can't hear what people are saying because it's quite muffled. And it's a little bit like, you know, essentially being in kind of full scuba gear that you can't really hear, you can't really see, you're a bit cut off from people, yet you're physically around them, you're trying to protect people, you're trying to do your job. But all of it does add to an increased anxiety level as well as, you know, just the, the aches and pains of wearing it all. You know, I get sort of little sort of scratch marks and bruises behind my ears from the mask. I've got, I get tension headaches from the, the shields across the forehead as well. And there are things that we can do to mitigate that and different sort of bits of padding that you can put in. But overall, it's it's definitely a different time to be a doctor and it's not the picture I started with. It's a very different experience. I mean, I put it on briefly to see one or two patients, but to be wearing it all day, I hadn't actually thought how... Uh, uh, what an imposition that must be, and how exhausting at one level that is. Um, but what on the on the infectious diseases ward? I mean, what's the story with COVID? Do you have many people on the ward at the moment with the disease? So most of the patients with um, coronavirus, they're not admitted into the infectious diseases unit. It's you know just about logistics of managing the patients themselves. Um, we have had a few patients who have been swabbed positive for COVID on the ward, but we haven't had 
the avalanche, the massive influx that they've seen in other countries, which has been, of course, a huge blessing. And part of that is that, you know, sometimes the patients, and I, I haven't seen these patients, they come in through emergency, they're well enough to go home and self-isolate. They don't necessarily need, um, you know, in-hospital medical care. We have had patients with coronavirus, as, you know, the statistics will show, and that in and of itself is is also you know, quite distressing because the ward is a closed ward. You can't have visitors on the ward itself. So if you have a loved one who may have coronavirus and may not be doing so well, you can't physically come in and see them. And a lot of that, the staff have been, you know, really, it, it's it's disruptive for us as well because, you know, of course we want to facilitate um, family members seeing their loved ones. And yet in some ways the best way we can do that is over FaceTime on an iPad that we disinfect afterwards and it's it's better than nothing but in some ways it's also not what we were sort of taught to do in medical school we were taught to bring people in and have family meetings and hold hands and you know look after people in a really compassionate way and in some ways our normal compassionate mechanisms have just been ceased this to be something which people who've been through it would be familiar with people with loved ones or who themselves have being kept away during times of illness but I think it's under-recognised otherwise how huge that impact is on both staff and patients um, just there's this sort of image I have in my mind that um, that we kind of prepared great banks of ventilators and respirators or whatever you call mm-hmm. them and there are all these machines that go ping all lined up going rusty somewhere because nothing is happening with them is that true are there are there wards full of machines that that are doing nothing look if there, if there are wards full of machines that are doing nothing I, I haven't seen them you know we um, we limit our exposure to all different areas of the hospital now just to try and limit the amount of people moving through different areas but the, the patients that you know the patients that we have consulted on or been in ICU the ICU still has patients in it but it's certainly not the case that we have corridors full of ventilators that aren't being used the ventilators are still being used and some of them are dormant and in some ways that's that's a wonderful thing it doesn't mean that we won't need them imminently and I think I think that's maybe that's something that you know I think people don't understand that well just because we have capacity at the moment doesn't mean that we will continue to have this capacity. We may still have a surge in cases. And I think that's one of the things that drives the anxiety as well, that you know, we, we don't know. We don't know whether it will spike, whether there'll be another cluster, whether that will pass on, whether we relax social distancing and we get more spikes. We really, really hope not, but we don't have the answers for this stuff. And I think, you know, as a junior in these circumstances, you're used to having your seniors sort of say, no, no, it's okay, this is what we're expecting. No, no, it's all right, this is what this is the expected course, this is what's going to happen, this is how it's going to work. And we don't, we don't have the certainty at the moment. Anxiety about uncertainty, we keep talking about this, mm. and it's, uh, despite the fact that we're months into this, it hasn't changed that much, has it? Uh, tell us, in the rest of the hospital, um, is it a bit quieter because with elective surgery cancelled and um, with emergency departments, that, that we're told that they are quieter in emergencies. So have you been down there to have a look and see are all the doctors sitting around twiddling their thumbs and playing Scrabble? <laughs> I mean, certainly not, certainly not twiddling their thumbs and playing Scrabble, but, um, it, yeah, it is quieter in the hospital at the moment. Uh, misdiagnosis, I'm loving hearing um, what's going on. I, I want to repeat a question I asked Dr Spock on the show a couple of weeks ago in his hospital work. Is there anything that you've started doing routine-wise that you think you'll continue doing when we go, quote-unquote, back to normal? 
Mm. Well, I mean, you know, obviously we're doing risk uh, assessments on everybody for coronavirus, which is something that we weren't doing. So until we have some kind of antibody test or vaccine, I imagine we'll be doing that for a lot longer. Otherwise, you know, realistically, the rest of the medicine is, is pretty similar. Do you know what I reckon will be changing, Panel Beta? Um, doctors are notoriously bad at washing their hands. <laughs> this is, but study after study has shown this, that um, when you observe doctors, when they don't know they're being observed, they wash their hands far less than they're meant to. And I hope, one of the things I'm really aware of is in, in general practice, um, I'm another naughty doctor. I didn't used to wash my hands nearly often enough, and now I'm dousing myself yeah. in sanitizer and washing all over the place. And it's... I believe it's a little bit like when we first had... I'm old enough to remember when you didn't have to wear seatbelts. Uh, and when you first had to put them on, you know, put them in seatbelts on. And then it became a routine. And then it became feeling unsafe not to. And I now realise I'm moving to feel unsafe if I don't wash my hands, which is exactly mm. what... You, mm. So what do you reckon about that, Mr. Yeah, Agnes? yeah. I, I, think, I think maybe, again, slightly different from a junior perspective. When I went through medical school, you'd fail the exam if you didn't wash your hands. So it's something that was drilled into us. So it wasn't then an act of rebellion? to never wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, because then you sort of, it's, it's a bit like not putting your seatbelt on, that you yeah. sort of think, well, I can't start this examination. I can't do it. I can't even look at this patient until I wash my hands. <laughs> we had history-taking stations where you'd still have to wash your hands just by sitting down and looking at the patient. And so I think it's something that, that you know, the juniors probably are very used to because used to, it's, you know, drilled into us at medical school. Um, now, certainly, you know, I walk into the hospital, I sanitise my hands. I walk upstairs, I sanitise my hands, put my scrubs on, I sanitise my hands. I sanitise my phone, I put my phone in a plastic bag, I sanitise my hands. I look at someone, I sanitise my... You know, we, yeah. we, there's so much sort of hand sanitizer, And the, the great thing at the moment is that, you know, we do have... At the hospital, we have the ability to do that, that there are sanitising stations everywhere. So we are able to do that in a way that, in you know, in the community, reaching into your handbag, finding that little jar of sanitizer, mm. bringing it out, knowing that it cost $14.50 and was from Aesop, may <laughs> make you less likely to want to do that in the hospital. It's just there. It's One of the most available. exciting days in my general practice life occurred last week when an, a, a, a shipment arrived and we got 40 litres of hand sanitizer all at once. It was so exciting. And how long do you reckon that'll last you, Dr. Oh, Vic? Yes, well, we'll keep very, it's all under lock and key, I can tell you. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. So hopefully we can get Rainbow on the telephone, um, and she's she was going to talk to us a little bit about the vaping controversy. So hence my little attack of vapors at the intro. Um, so I'm going to look at misdiagnosis and see whether she's got any experience of this because uh, vaping fascinates me. Something which. Um, when you go overseas, when I was in the UK recently, which is why I had to be quarantined when I came back, um, vaping's everywhere. And there are vaping shops. It's extraordinary. You go down a tiny little back street in some remote village and there'll be a shop called For All Your Vaping Needs. And it's just absolutely extraordinary. And people puffing out these great plumes of, I was going to say smoke, but I think it's moisture rather than smoke. Mm, yeah. Um, and I feel very conflicted about this, and we have talked about vaping on this program before, because uh, anything that stops people smoking cigarettes has to be, at one level, a good thing. Um, but misdiagnosis, what's your um, experience or thoughts about this? Yeah, so, so vaping, you know, again, one of those things that you could look at it and say, oh, maybe this is a good way to help people cut down on smoking cigarettes. But in actual fact, 
um, one of the things that they've found with vaping is that by using so essentially you get these sort of steam chambers and I don't know the exact mechanics of it but you get you can get a little oil chamber it heats up the oil for flavor for an effect mm-hmm. which then turns into um, into sort of micro particles of oil which you can then inhale now you can sort of think through the consequences of aerosolizing and inhaling micro particles of oil and they've found a couple of cases and I've actually read a couple of case studies about um, vape vape induced they've called it white lung currently they'll have yes. you know more technical terms for it in the future where um it, it causes a, you know an inflammatory cascade around these sort of microparticles of oil in these tiny delicate alveoli in the lungs themselves and it looks like it could be very very bad for you and that was a perfect off-the-cuff riff which takes us now <laughs> to i'm hoping rainbow doc are you there Yes. Oh, Rainbow. You might be able to find me. Yeah, now we have found you. Where did we find you? Where are you lurking? You found me stuck in a room with a light shining on me with a screen in front of me. I don't, why, are you, why are you at the, the police station? Pe- <laughs> in the world of telehealth. Um, well, welcome and thank you so much for uh, being available this morning. Uh, first, time, first time I've uh, um, had you on air this year. How are you going in this weird and wonderful world we find ourselves I feel extremely fortunate that I have work. Mm. Um, I feel extremely fortunate that I have a roof over my head. Um, You know, I really can't complain. But doing all of my work from home, online, through telehealth. And, um, you know, I mean, like, like most people, things have had to change really quickly. It's amazing what we can do to change things if we... Yeah. We have to. But I, I love um, the fact that what you start off with is the gratitude for the things that you do have because there's far too much bleating about what we've missed out on. But for many of us, we're compared to others, very fortunate. We, we started talking about vaping in your absence. You were going to take over vaping for me, if you would. Yeah, I mean, at this time, I think what's happened, a lot of people have suddenly put expectations on themselves as to what they need to accomplish or produce during this time that we are restricted or isolated. And one of those, you know, here people wanting to lose weight or get fit and other people, you know, wanting to give up smoking. Mm-hmm. And um, as you'd agree, you know, any time we can give up smoking is a good time to give up smoking. But nevertheless, when we're uh, under pressure as we are now in the sense of um, not being able to do the things that we normally do to cope with um cope with the world and with life um what we're seeing is you know high rates of use of alcohol um high rates of gambling high rates of anything that basically allows us to get away from the experience of being restricted and probably highly anxious in this environment and smoking is one of those things i imagine the rates of smoking have probably gone up not down despite our knowledge that, you know, COVID attacks our respiratory system and we're better off probably not to be a smoker. And are you Um, suggesting that uh, with all the stress around, uh, smokers should get a free pass to carry on at the moment? No, I mean, I don't think there ever is a free pass, but I I don't think putting a lot of pressure on yourself necessarily helps, you know. We need to be ready and... and, um, committed and motivated to to make the change, and maybe uh, you know COVID is something that will do that for people. Um, but I'm also concerned. I'm mean, talking about vaping. That vaping um, was used to be seen as kind of the safe alternative to help you 
not smoke to do something else. Mm. Um, uh, and then last year, you know, there were suddenly reports about the dangers of vaping, and there's no doubt now that there are dangers to vaping. But nevertheless, vaping can still be used as a kind of stepping stone to um, to giving up smoking. Um, and, and has been used um, in the UK, you know, the equivalent of quit, I guess, in the UK, is saying that vaping is one of the most effective ways for people to to give up smoking so, as a tool to help give up smoking. So this is certainly not my area of expertise, but so correct me if I'm wrong, but I, my understanding was that the main risks that seem to have turned out is when people put all sorts of additives in there, which they don't necessarily have to do, and some of them are not properly licensed. So just like misdiagnosis was talking a bit earlier, when people are inhaling oily substances, it can be very dangerous for lungs. Um, in the general sense, my impression, and I could be wrong, so I'm being cautious here, is that if you use vaping appropriately, it's actually pretty safe. Is that your reading of it? If, yeah, if you know what you're vaping. I mean, I don't know that it's particularly good, you know, inhaling whatever you're inhaling or, or taking into your body through vapour. Um, there are less chemicals. There may be different chemicals. Sometimes there's no nicotine. But, but nevertheless, I guess informed vaping yeah. is probably better than smoking. Um, and informed vaping, uh, where you can reduce the amount of nicotine, gradually reduce the amount of nicotine that's in your vape juice, um, could well be a way to helping you, you know, um, deal with your nicotine addiction, your smoking addiction, and also the, you know, the action of hand-to-mouth that, yes. um, that smoking involves, which is an, you know, that, that habitual motion, which becomes kind of like a self, self-soother, if you want. We're normally quite um, keen on the concept of harm minimisation, and without suggesting that vaping is completely harmless, uh, it's surely in the absence of all those thousands of toxic chemicals contained in tobacco, which are carcinogenic and all the rest of it, um, I personally would feel a little more comfortable with someone vaping than smoking cigarettes. Um, unfortunately, time is slightly getting away, and I, um, because we only got you with slightly short notice, but I do want to hear just your experience. We were talking to Prudence earlier about online therapy. Um, that's your area of work as well. But um, Just uh, briefly, what's, what's been your experience with that, Rainbow? Um, I find that online therapy is extraordinarily and surprisingly effective. Uh-huh. Um, and clients are reporting the same thing, that you can develop incredible presence through a screen. Um, I, I think it's really important that people um, make efforts to, you know, distinguish between having a chat on a screen with a mate <laughs> via Zoom and having a therapy session and set themselves up so that they are in a relaxed, you know, sitting in a chair, relaxed rather than leaning forward into their screen um, during sessions. But if it's set up well, the the experiences that I'm finding people are having are are kind of taking them taking them by surprise very much. And, and 
Yeah, and I think this is what we're, we're hearing. We certainly heard it from Prue, and I think this is a really positive note for to finish this little segment on, that um, with all the restrictions we have, um, the fact is that psychological help is still available and it's still effective. So I'm, I'm delighted to hear that's your experience. And Rainbow, thank you for joining us. Uh, we look forward very much to having you here, hopefully in person next time. Um, but otherwise, you take care and um, be careful in that little white room with that bright light on you. Uh, we'll talk to you yeah. next time. <laughs> Thanks, Rainbow. Hope to see you soon. All right, thank you. So it's nearly time to wrap up here. So we've just got time to say thank you to our panellists, uh, Miss, Miss Diagnosis and Panel Beater here in the studio, Rainbow Doc and Prudence Dear. Um, if you haven't already subscribed or you're due to renew, now is the perfect time because there's still five days to go in April and the April amnesty means there are loads of prizes to be won. Uh, so jump onto the website at rrr.org.au and help support this amazing radio station. I've been Dr Nick. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can check us out on Facebook. You can listen anytime on, with Triple R Radio On Demand. You can always download the podcast so you can listen to us on the road, in the bath or anywhere you like. Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Therapy's Facebook page.